As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how we doing? Doing well, Jordan. It's It amazes me every year. Here we are, the calendar's flipped to March as we sit here recording this on this beautiful day, and it's like the off-season is already here. It, it, we, we go straight from the Super Bowl, we get, a, we get to catch our breath for about two weeks, and then we are right into it. We are on the verge of free agency. We didn't have the combine. I thought about that. How many times, Jordan, did you think about that over the last few days? How we we weren't in uh, chilly Indianapolis uh, stalking the hallways of the convention center. It really always kind of felt like the kickoff mm-hmm. to the to the off season, and we didn't get that this year. Yeah, it was really weird. I will say my long term physical and mental health probably appreciates it. But um, in terms of the short term information gathering, it's it's really um, it feels really weird because I'm, I'm looking at my calendar and, and I'm flipping over, you know, two pages in my little weekly planner. Uh, and yes, I still use a paper weekly planner. Roast me if you must. Wow. Um, and so is that seeing, what you use to call people on your rotary phone? My, my Rolodex. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got my phone numbers and my information. Yeah. Um, no, I, I like flipped over one page and I was like, holy crap, free agency starts. The negotiating window opens so soon. And obviously, you know, we want to touch on that today. But speaking of just sort of blockbuster news opening various weekly windows. I mean, obviously the Rams experienced this right out of the gate in January when um, the Rams agreed to trade terms with Matthew Stafford and and the Detroit Lions. But elsewhere in the NFC West, things are getting heated and crazy. And and starting last week with Seattle, our incredible colleagues, Michael Sean Dugar, Mike Sandu, and Jason Jenks had a piece about um, the, the spring of Russell Wilson's discontent. And so that's a great read if people haven't checked that out. So that's a situation to monitor the NFC West, something that might motivate Russell Wilson to continue to push for uh change within his own personnel, uh, in terms of the organization, um, JJ Watt joining the Arizona Cardinals. So now obviously this is a division that features some of the 
storied and premier pass rushers in the in the NFL, Chandler Jones, Nick Bosa, JJ Watt, uh, certainly not least among them being three-time defensive player of the year, Aaron Donald. I mean, Rich, what do you think about this? This is crazy, right? Uh, yeah, I, I was shocked. And and for people who maybe you know don't know, he, he was able to do this because of uh, the way that he left Houston. Uh, he doesn't have to wait until mid-March like everybody else. He could basically, he was a free agent class of one, or at least a high-level <laughs> free agent class of one. Uh, so he was able to do that in the, in the two weeks here before you can even start that negotiation period. Wow, when I saw it, that was my first thought too. Like the NFC West just stepped up again. And we know how difficult it was last year. And we know that Arizona was a team that started strong, looked like it was going to be a contender for a playoff spot for a division title even, uh, faded a little bit in, in the latter part of the season, which is not unexpected for, for a young team. Uh, but they made a statement here. We, we all know what they can do on offense and with Kyler Murray and with a you know, great offense of mine and, and Cliff Kingsbury. And now they're, they're making a big statement, bringing in a, a veteran guy like J.J. Watt. We've seen what that can do. Uh, not just on the field, but this is a guy who's obviously had a, amazing success as a player. He's going to come in and, and be a good leader and, and help the guys who are on that defense to, to play better and to play with a, a certain attitude. So, my goodness, I mean, we talk about these offenses that are in the NFC West, but you, you can't ignore some of these defenses either. We don't know what the 49ers are going to look like. Obviously, they're they're undergoing a, a transition there with, with a defense that gave the Rams a lot of problems. Over the last couple of years, Seattle, like you said, what a fat, absolutely people need to go read that story. I mean, the stuff that's going on there in Seattle uh, with with Pete Carroll and kind of the some of the scrutiny that maybe he's coming under after kind of, you know, running the show. He had been the guy in Seattle for a long time. And I think people maybe are starting to question that now a little bit and whether, you know, how much autonomy he should have. So fascinating division and I, I don't think it's going to get any less interesting as as we go along here but uh but yeah you you can't sleep on the Arizona Cardinals now that's for sure yeah and I think it's interesting because obviously there's still complexity ahead with free agency with the cap shrinking to what it will be um somewhere in the 180s low 180s range um and that of course in turn limits what teams are going to be able to do um probably increases cap casualty cuts across the league over the next week and a half or so probably increases, um, you know, the, the array of tough decisions that you have to make in terms of selecting your free agents. But what I really think is in Arizona, I think it means, you know, you're probably going to resign Chandler Jones. And he, although he, because he'd been coming off the injury, I know that among our staffers, he was listed as a as a potential cap casualty. But you also have Hassan Reddick, who you may not be able to sign, resign at this point. You have, you know, there's a balance now that teams have to walk sort of more delicately. It's not just the Rams. I know everyone makes a right. fuss about where the, the Rams situation, and Rich and I outlined that several times, and I outlined it again in my um, off-season mailbag, which you guys asked me a ton of great questions, so go check that out. But um, it, it really is like such a delicate line for people to walk in terms of who they retain and who they don't. Basically, though, you're you're seeing that strategy of almost, I want to say, imitating in a way what the Rams have been able to do in terms of your your 
guy who you might put on the inside. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved J.J. Watt to the inside mm. and have him acquire double teams and free up whoever is on the edge. And that sounds super familiar, <laughs> I think, to, to Rams fans who are listening to this. But also, he's a guy who can rotate so and move up and down um, the line. So you you kind of are drawing a double wherever you go. I mean, he's also a three-time defensive player of the year, and I know his stats weren't great last year, but you look at some of his pass rush efficiency numbers and all of that, and you still, you can't rule him out as someone who is an added um, benefit for everybody else along the line. And getting a player like that can do a lot of things for your defense. Now, do I think the Cardinals are close in terms of having all of the pieces to make a run? No. But also, I mean, right. it's 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 going to be interesting and, and fun to watch anyway because, um, you know, J.J. Watt, he, he went and he got some great guaranteed money. He controlled his own destiny. He broke his own news. And I think when you see players taking some of their empowerment and players who are, are taking control of their futures and their destinies like you're seeing across the league um, more and more often, and you will probably see that particularly as the craziest offseason um, – sort of commences and particularly perhaps at at quarterback, I think that, and you know, you even hear about like Matthew Stafford pushing really hard for this Rams trade and being a a key factor and why it was able to come together so quickly. Um, To me, if I'm looking at it from sort of an unbiased perspective, yes, the NFC West is always for, you know, the next several, many, many years, especially as these coaches, if if some of these coaches, uh, some of them, not all of them, uh, stay in place the way they are. And continue to, you know, develop this talent and have this talent on their roster. The NFC West is always going to be so highly competitive. So it's not like it's not to me about chasing a ring for him or he, you know, he got the good paycheck. He's in a, a great climate. He's with his teammates that he likes, his friends. DeAndre Hopkins is a good friend of his. Chandler Jones is a good friend of his. And he took control of his own future. And I think I, I as a person and as a sort of from an unbiased perspective, I like to see that. I like to see players take control of their future. I would like to see Deshaun Watson take control of his future as he is is doing so in terms of, um, you know, forcing forcing the issue in, in Houston, which sounds like a very toxic place to be. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I think that, you know, on a, on a maybe a more macro level, I think that's really interesting. Now, of course, it becomes a huge challenge if you're the Rams. You, you're already – you need to already be restocking along your offensive line if you're the Rams. I think that not only looking for options and free agency in that regard, but continuing to draft at your higher ranked pick points, I think especially in this year's draft where interior offensive linemen are going to be available in the second round and they could be starters for you. Um, I think that that's something important, especially as people are starting to um, you know, really stock up, especially – on some of those defensive players, those high caliber players. And you know, that pass rushing talent in the league is not going to diminish anytime soon. And especially not in the NFC West. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's the, the, the power plays here are, are amazing. And, and I liked what you said, especially Jordan about uh, players kind of taking control a little bit. It, it's starting to almost get that NBA feel a little bit where, where guys, especially when they get to a, a certain point in their career, or maybe they've hit a crossroads or they're not, totally pleased with with the situation, sometimes for very, very reasonable uh, reasons, start to look around and go, okay, well, where can my, where can I maximize myself a little bit? Where can, uh, you know, where can I fit? Where do I have the best chance to win a ring? What What's the best situation for this year, which might not be the 
best situation for the following year. But uh, I think it's great. I, I think it, it it probably gives a lot of GMs headaches and, and player personnel people headaches or coaches and things like that. But uh, for, from a, you know, a watcher's perspective, a fan's perspective, I think it makes it really compelling that these that these teams can undergo some some changes like this, that you see these big names moving the way that they are. And we, we don't know what's going to happen, like you said, with Watson. All of a sudden, you know, it's not ridiculous to, to think that Russell Wilson might be moving on from Seattle, which who would have ever thought that that would have happened. So I, it, it makes these off seasons, you know, all the more interesting to watch. And, and these teams uh, can just change themselves, transform themselves uh, so quickly. So I, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what what goes on here, especially over the next couple of weeks, maybe over the next month as we as we get into free agency. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. But Jordan, I, I think we should probably address uh, the, the big the big changes for the Rams since we last talked have not uh, been related to the player roster, but they have been on the, the coaching roster, I guess you could say. And we uh, finally, after a lot of uh, wait, uh, got the <laughs> <laughs> got the the full list of, of new coaches and some position changes I we people I'm sure have have read uh, all of your your great coverage so we we don't need to detail every single coach who's coming in or every single change that that was made but uh there there was a big one uh, Jordan and and that is Aaron Cromer departing as the offensive line coach he had been in place since Sean McVay came in in 2017 and and really um did a I I think a, a fantastic job not only in transforming that line immediately and making it from turning it from one of the worst offensive lines to one of the best offensive lines. Uh, there'd been some ups and downs over the last couple of years. I, I think that a lot of that had to do with personnel more than more than coaching necessarily. But he is moving on by um, mutual decision. Um, so Jordan, uh, what did, and, and by the way, you, you covered this very well in your uh, Rams mailbag that just went uh, live on, on the Athletic app and, and the website. That is chock full of great information, not only about these coaching moves, but about uh, all the things going on with the Rams. So I'd encourage everybody to go check that out. Well, not right now. After you finish the podcast, <laughs> then then go check it out. Uh, but uh, Jordan, what, what do we know about Aaron Cromer? And the Rams have already made a hire, a replacement here. So what, what do you anticipate kind of the, uh, the the change meaning here for, for the Rams on the O-line? Yeah, so this was a really interesting situation because if you are determined to, quote unquote, mutually part ways, or if you are determined to move on from somebody um, from circumstances within a season, you do that 
right away. You it's it's like uh, you know, Sean McVay moves quickly. You see this with some of the hires that he had honed in on. Um, you see this even with the the Wade Phillips situation where it, the decision to move on and then sort of the the findings of he's interviewing with Brandon Staley very quickly after the fact. And and these things happen quickly after the season. If it's again, if it's a usually a season or performance related mutual parting um, or if it is a performance and season related um, firing. Now, this was obviously described as a team spokesman as a mutual parting. So like what that means really is that it wasn't, it didn't ultimately end contentiously. And I think that's something that people, that's a question I got a lot was, was it was not characterized to me as a contentious parting. Um, Obviously when the conversation is broached, like, you know, Hey, I'm going to move on from you. (laughs) That's probably not the greatest thing to hear. So, but importantly, like it doesn't end contentiously in, in terms of how it was described to me. So here's the, kind of complex part of it. So the sense that I got from speaking to a couple of, of team sources, and, and again, note note that as well, because there are, there are obviously multiple perspectives to a situation like this, but the perspective right. that I was able to gather is from team sources. So the sense was that it was kind of time to split the sort of father-son situation, that that dynamic um, along an offensive staff. And obviously Aaron Cromer's son, Zach Cromer is an offensive assistant for the Rams. He has a different title now. Um, he entered the season as offensive quality control. He has a little bit of a different title as an offensive assistant. Um, that's not really, it wasn't really a promotion or anything like that. And obviously the Rams were Sean McVay was out there interviewing, um, candidates for the assistant offensive line coach. And that was external, and also external candidate Kevin Carberry comes in and is the offensive line coach now as as Aaron Cromer's replacement. So it was kind of a sense where it was like time to split up the 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 dynamic in that regard. And you know, sometimes it can it can work when you've got a father son duo and sort of that that factor within a staff, particularly as you know you're kind of. On the you know, there's like coaches do this all the time. Coaches will hire their sons or their nephews, or and honestly, in my opinion, that's a huge issue and a barrier to many people not receiving deserving opportunities across the league. Is people hiring who they know, who they're comfortable with, who they, um, who's in their family, and so my sense was that it was not. It was time to sort of disrupt that particular dynamic, and you've seen Sean set a precedent with this before um, in terms of Wade Phillips and Wes Phillips. And so that's a change that there is precedent for. And so then there also twofold is now more opportunity for Zach Cromer to grow upward internally um, because, you know, there's not a, it's not like, um, you know, my dad's promoting me at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it does. And you've seen it. Um, yeah, I mean, Bill Johnson, the Rams' former defensive line coach, his son was on the staff uh, also when when he got fired. So this is like a third time <laughs> that, that this has happened. I I, I take that back because Aaron Cromer didn't get fired. It was mutual. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> there, there is a certain um, dynamic there that, yeah, it's it's 
maybe in the end it's mutual, but nobody, no, nobody is in a good, you know, think of it as, as being in a relationship or something. You, you, you don't, even if a breakup is mutual, it starts for some reason, right? I mean, it's not, you don't just, you aren't just going along your day-to-day lives and then just sit there one day and go, you know what? We, we mutually just decided that we shouldn't be together anymore. <laughs> like there, there has to be some kind of uh, spark or some type of uh, negative uh, activity that, that, that causes that. So I, I just wanted to make it clear because, uh, you know, people in, in, in the absence of information, there's, there's speculation and, right. and people were speculating right away. Like, well, you know, the Rams offensive line wasn't playing quite as well. No, 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 no. This was not a move like this does not happen a month after the season ends where it is performance related. Those, those decisions are made, uh, immediately after the season where we see them all over the place where, uh, you're just, you're not satisfied with your coordinator or with your position coach. So it's time to make a move. You don't, you don't sit there for a month and, and stew over it and, and then make a move. So I, I just wanted to make that clear that it's not, didn't have anything to do with performance or, or things like that. Whatever was going on behind the scenes, like you said, Jordan, it's, it's complex, you know, that on, only the people who were there who were involved in it really know the details. I, I think you you did a, a, a great job of, of kind of filling in some of the blanks there and, and setting the the parameters of it. But yeah, in the end, it it looks like that that you know Sean McVay and and Aaron Cromer decided that this was the right move uh, for each of them. Uh, maybe they didn't get there in the same. Maybe they didn't take the path same path to get to that to get to that conclusion. But they both reached that conclusion. So uh, you, you hope it works out. No worries about Aaron Cromer, as you said, Jordan. He's. I'm. I'm actually surprised he hasn't been hired yet. Um, I'm. I'm certain he will. He will catch on someplace uh, as a. As a. You know, very talented offensive line coach. And then uh, Kevin Carberry comes in. And and what do we. What do we know about him? Yeah. So Kevin Carberry is a former offensive line coach at Stanford, which I find intriguing in a lot of different ways. Not the least because of how you. You know, year after year after year, you hear scouts and front office people and especially personnel and talent evaluators talk about how pro-ready Stanford's offensive linemen are, how their scheme under David Shaw and most recently Kevin Carberry um, is so um, physical and can do a variety of different complicated blocking concepts and schematic concepts that a lot of times, especially now with everything so uh, gravitated towards spread offenses and whatnot, you're not seeing as many pro-ready offensive lineman year over year. Well, that's not really ever been an issue um, it, when you hear s- those scouts and personnel people talk about how ready some of these guys are and how, and how um, you know, physical and, and just sort of able um, this, this, that places schematically in terms of what they do in the run game. So right. Kevin Carberry, I would, I, my understanding is that he's going to be working closely with Thomas Brown. Um, Thomas Brown obviously is a running backs coach and now the assistant head coach, which I think was a fabulous, fabulous move for McVay to, to promote him into that role. Um, And he's going to be they're They're going to be coordinating the run game together. Obviously Kevin O'Connell, who will stay in his role because as McVay finally confirmed, uh, you know, I I had reported back in, I think it was God like January that, (laughs) Uh, they blocked that Sean blocked Kevin O'Connell from interviewing for the Chargers job. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, so yeah, so he's like, oh yeah, I did that uh, recently. So 
Um, so th- those three will be coordinating the run game. I think it's really exciting moving forward in terms of the possibility there, uh, especially with Thomas Brown having more of an autonomous role, Cam Akers being developed more in, in his second year. And um, I think Kevin O'Connell growing in some of his responsibilities as well, though probably will still continue to take the lead in quarterback coaching duties as well. Um, and, and I do think that there's one facet of this where I there are a lot of interesting sort of notes as as Sean McVay has continued to develop and um, and hire in terms of his staff changes. I think he's probably had more hires to make in the last couple of years than most coaches around the league. And the strategy with which he's approached that is very external based. And so for me, I think that there's interesting facets of, of, you know, your, your understanding of the league and your growth as maybe a person and, and as a coach, when you start to make different decisions. And one of them is, um, you know, using that block button a little bit more, I think, is, sure. is one of those things. If you want to keep a guy around, do what you can to to keep him around. And and then I think there's there's still interest to me in in I'm I'm of the personal opinion that you you want to develop young coaches internally. You want to develop young, promising coaches internally and keep them around as long as you can and promote them into the right roles. Now, that doesn't mean that him hiring Raheem Morris was the wrong decision. Raheem Morris is a hell of a football coach and a hell of a person and is an absolute dynamite hire for this football team. But there also is the sense of, you know, the pattern that that Sean McVay has showed over the last couple of years is that his coordinators particularly are usually going to be external hires. His um, sort of higher ranking assistants and ultimately, you know, Thomas Brown coming into that role uh, Kevin O'Connell, um, those higher ranking assistants are are probably at one point external and then sort of get promoted into other roles or people who Sean McVay has had a long time relationship with. And and so the balance there that's struck between, you know, you have to you have to at least get your guys through these interview processes because you want them to feel valued and, and show they're valued. At a certain point, there's not any more, there, there are no more titles to add to somebody's job. Like there's, right. you can't promote anyone any higher where I do think there's a little bit of growth is sh- shown is understanding that, uh, sort of in, intra intra staff nepotism is, is, is often something that could bite you in the ass and you yeah. see it in Seattle right now with yeah. our, our Michael Sean Dugar had this very illuminating um, piece uh, before this this sort of massive Russell Wilson piece that they had where Pete Carroll obviously has his sons on staff and he believes that they're the only one like he he listens to them. He he hears them. They, they, they're allowed to criticize him and he says he listens to them. And and Michael Sean asked Pete Carroll, who who do you answer to? Who holds you accountable? And he's like, well, you know, my, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, well, my sons are on staff, and I hold and they hold me. But 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 that's that's uh that's a different power dynamic. That's not yeah. a power dynamic of true accountability if they're related to you. And so I think Sean McVay as a coach, I think we forget sometimes how young and inexperienced relatively he is in terms of staff building. And and I'm not saying that as like he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm saying he's figuring out what the right things are for him. And at some point, um, I think that includes 
developing and and promoting internal candidates and particularly more so as teams continue to try to raid his staff and certain guys and I'm thinking of Aubrey Pleasant specifically certain guys understand and start to see like wow um, I've been passed over twice now and wasn't even interviewed for this defensive coordinator job so right maybe I should go somewhere else because I can't put my own growth on hold. Well, instead, I think the development there is holding more of those sort of extensive opportunities and more of that um, upper-level promotion for, for people who, who do have that potential and do have that, that growth potential. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating um, to me, Jordan. And the, the Pete Carroll thing, I'm not going to go too far down that, that wormhole, but I mean, people who are live in Southern California, remember his days at USC, obviously, and he almost saw the parallels. It's almost eerie how when he started at USC, he had this staff of, of guys who really went out and got the, the best of the best. He had Norm Chow as his offensive coordinator who had been a successful coordinator at BYU for a couple decades. Uh, he got a guy like Ed Ogeron, who was one of the best defensive line coaches. He really brought in like the, the best of the best. And slowly that started to slip over time where, you know, some of these guys got poached and went to other jobs. And it seemed like Pete kind of surrounded himself with these a lot younger kind of guys who he was able to bring along. Like it, it was very much the, the the Pete Carroll, you know, top down coaching staff rather than a, a staff of kind of, uh, you know, equals or, or, or coaches who were very experienced and, and had success on their own. Uh, I, I don't think that favored Pete Carroll very well in, as his as his time at USC advanced. And I don't know whether that same thing is happening at, in Seattle, but when I read those stories that you're talking about, uh, Mike Sean Dugar and and a lot of just fantastic coverage, by the way. But when I read some of these, I'm, I, the parallels to me kind of come back and I'm going, wow, I wonder, yeah. I wonder if Pete's doing this again. And I, I think about that in the context of, of Sean McVay, um, because I, I, I think there is it's a very, very like you said, Jordan, it's a very delicate balance that, that you have to keep. Uh, when Sean got hired in 2017, he was just about to turn 31 years old. I mean, he did not what? have... Who, nobody you know, told me that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there, a couple of people wrote stories about it. Yeah, it kind of went ignored. Uh, you know, he'd been on that Washington staff for a couple of years. He didn't have a tree of, of coaches. He didn't have a deep... So what did he do? He went out and, uh, you know, his first move was to hire Wade Phillips. Uh, he brings in Aaron Cromer. He keeps Skip Pete. He keeps John Fossil. Uh, he hires Joe Barry. He hires uh, uh, Johnson, Bill Johnson, who we just talked about. He went out and hired these guys because he was new. He didn't have that experience. He, mm -hmm. he hadn't worked on a lot of staffs before. I think what you're seeing now in the last couple of years and the big move last year was was getting rid of, of Wade Phillips or parting, whatever, whatever the language was there. I, <laughs> I don't even remember what the language there was, but that you saw Sean starting to assert himself a little bit more mm -hmm. in terms of now I've been a coach in this league for three years. Um, I know more. I've learned more. I've evolved more as a coach. My needs as a head coach in terms of what I get from my assistants aren't the same as they were in 2017 when I was 31 years old. Um, and I'm not saying that's good, bad, or indifferent. I'm just saying you've seen that transition start to happen to where now the 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 kind of the inner circle is a lot younger and doesn't have quite that same level of experience. Uh, Thomas Brown is is now your assistant head coach, which I know 
is a title, but it, it does mean something. I mean, it, it signifies the trust that, that Sean McVay has mm-hmm. in Thomas Brown, and rightfully so, I believe. Uh, but but you're seeing that kind of transition now to where Joe Barry had that job, and now it got, goes to a guy who's a, a lot younger in, in Thomas Brown. So uh, the, the flip side of that now is he hired Raheem Morris, who is, certainly is a, a more experienced coach, who's been a head coach, who's been in a few different organizations. Um, I, I, I think what the balance maybe, Jordan, that you're looking for is you, you want to do exactly what you're talking about. You want to bring those guys along. You want to have them have ownership in their jobs and feel like they can move up and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think you also want to have people in your coach's room who can, I don't want to say tell you no, but but they can they can give you a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've been around. They've been in other organizations. They've been a head coach. They've worked under a lot of different head coaches. I, I think you 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 want a little bit of that in your room too. So have the Rams found the right balance here? I'm not sure. It it it, it seems like it. They're certainly skewing a little bit more toward toward the younger. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but having a guy like Raheem Morris in there, even you know a special teams coach now like Jody Camillus, uh, these guys have been around. So I, I just find that fascinating, and I think having that balance is is really really important. Well, and two thing, a few things I, I really like as well is that there seems to be even even though some of it is external search based, there does seem to be now along this staff and among these these coaches, you know they they actually had to work to retain Jonathan Cooley, who was um, going to be interviewing with another team. And also a college team for a position that would have been uh, essentially a promotion, obviously, but it's a college team. And and so, you know, you you're keeping a guy who as a defensive quality control assistant working with Brandon Staley helped install an offense or excuse me, helped install a defense virtually, essentially. And so you're seeing that, hey. I'm going to try to keep this guy around because I want him to move up and to promote um, and to help with the, you know, and, and to and to fo- sort of foster and encourage that that internal growth. At the same time, hiring a couple of young guys outside of the system, um, Marcus Dixon being one of them. Um, and I say young, but it's more like relative to, you know, the the coaching experience. And, and then Dwayne Stukes, right. who... Both of those guys are former players. Both of those guys have been working their way around various coaching positions, trying to find, you know, the right fit. And and it's I think that those things are also important because I, I, I like a balance, like what you said. I like a balance of having someone as experienced as Raheem Morris and then also having guys who are are have different experience of the, of their own, not only belonging to a different generation of coach, but also of player, um, Marcus Dixon and, and Dwayne Stokes, both being former NFL players. Mm-hmm. And so I think that those things are important. That's a dynamic that I did not really, you don't, you don't really see maybe last year. Um, you, you saw it a little bit on the, on the offensive side with Kevin O'Connell. Um, and, you know, I think that, building and blending all of these this variety of of experiential dynamics and then internal external and then you know there's there's always that line to walk on who you can and and want to go to bat to keep and who you um who you promote and who you help develop and who you invest in as a person and so this kind of brings me back to the the Cromer situation because this you know this it's certainly not a knock on 
Aaron Krummer and Zach Krummer, that they were working together in this space. It is not, I'm not knocking them, but I am saying that it's very possible and probable that they, that people who were in charge of making these decisions decided that that's not the dynamic that they wanted. They wanted a different dynamic. They wanted sort of a variety of experiences and opinions instead of sort of one unilateral decision-making tandem. Right. So I think that, that that's, it's, it's all such an interesting um, sort of sociological experiment behind those doors up in Thousand Oaks where you just it's 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 a lot about coaching is is so much about managing personalities and managing people and investing in people and i think Sean McVay is sort of learning in public <laughs> right like he's he's right. got the very unenviable job of learning in public right when he makes mistakes and i will get to this in a minute when he spoke about Jared Goff for the first time publicly um sort of admitting to mistakes in public, learning in public and and either succeeding or failing in public and finding that balance of things. And and to me, that's the most fascinating part about coaching um, is, is doing that. And also the most unenviable part is having to do that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, let, let, let's jump into that real quick. But just to, just to set the table, you know, and, and uh, we, we've been doing these podcasts every every two weeks since the end of the season. We're going to yes. be back here um every week uh, for for the next couple weeks here as as we get into some of these uh, free agencies so so we'll be back with you next week and, and the week after that so we'll we'll dig Very deeper exciting. i know yeah i know people have a lot of questions like about the the franchise tag and 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 things like that who might be resigned i would refer them first of all again back to your mailbag which is now live on the athletic app and website answers a lot of those questions about what the rams might do uh, what their options are, things like that. But but just to give people a real kind of uh, top-down view of of what's going on here, we're, we're going to see these things slowly start to develop. You're going to see that franchise tag window open to where uh, teams can can apply that tag. We don't even know the values yet right now. Uh, so it's a little premature to kind of guess what what might happen there. But that window will open up. And then, as Jordan said, we'll get that free agency negotiation uh, period uh, window opening up, and and then on uh, March seventeenth will actually be the day that uh, teams can sign players, and that's the official start of the the new uh, league year. Which something else will happen that day, Jordan, which oh, is man. that the the <laughs> the much talked about but not so much talked about trade between the Rams and the Detroit Lions, which will swap Jared Goff for Matthew Stafford, will become official um, now. Jordan, <laughs> Sean McVay did speak uh, to you, uh, beat reporters, uh, about ostensibly about the coaching changes. Uh, now, every nobody is naive enough to think that he's not going to get questions uh, about Jared Goff, but he did his best to avoid those. I, I guess you would say. I I don't think. Just my personal opinion, and then I, I, I certainly want to hear your insights. I don't, I don't necessarily think he served himself well with that. These, these questions are not going to go away. I know he probably really doesn't want to talk about them. He really doesn't want to talk about what happened. But, um, you know, brushing aside the questions is not going to make them go away. And I know they will circle back again on uh, March 17th or whenever it is that, that the next uh, media availability is after that. But but Jordan, did you learn anything 
from from that uh, as as it pertains. Now he could not speak at all about about Matthew Stafford. So let's let's be clear about that because well, he he he. I, I guess he chose not to speak to the beat reporters about Matthew Stafford. Let's <laughs> let's put it that way. Um, but did you learn anything about about the way that went down, or what did, what did you hope to hear uh, during that talk? Um, well, I learned nothing, but yeah. I will say uh, that I think that he did some good sort of self public relations in a way. And again, that has kind of a negative connotation, but I don't mean it that way. It's it's kind of like. You know, he knew he was going to get asked about it. Um, he got a couple of questions to lead off, and then I got called on, and I asked him about why and and what changed in his assessment of Jared Goff between the time of awarding him the massive contract and this last offseason in which they very, very adamantly were wanting to move on from, from Jared. To the point, I'll remind you guys, to the point where they were okay with having John Walford be their starting quarterback um, after a quarterback competition in 2021 if, uh, you know, if, if they couldn't go out and find a quarterback uh, this this offseason. Right. So that's a massive change. And so I asked Sean directly about that, and he, and he deferred. Um, he was polite about it, and he said, you know what, it's a really tough thing to answer. And what I think is important is to make – sure that I mentioned the good things and the great leadership that he had provided. Um, he listed Jared Goff's uh, numerous accomplishments. And then he also mentioned that he, he would he repeated he'd rather focus on the, the good things and the good times and, and really said he respected how Jared handled himself. Um, and then, you know, uh, thankfully, a, a couple of other reporters also followed up later on down the, the Zoom availability on that sort of line of questioning. And Sean pretty much repeated sort of the same thing as wanting to focus on wanting to focus on the good things. Um, I guess I did learn one thing. They have talked. He and Jared Goff have talked since the end of the season and um they have talked since the trade uh agreement happened. And so Sean did did say that and that he wants to keep those conversations private, but they had a lot of them and that they um that he thought they were healthy conversations. And then sort of, again, brought it back to reiterating, you know, I, I want to focus on what he was able to accomplish here and wishing him the best. And then also reiterating, like, look, guys, it's not all the it's not all the quarterback's fault. And here's where I think we definitely can differentiate because because no, it's never all the quarterback's fault. And there's play calling and um, different various things with the offense and, and all of that. But the Rams felt that they were one player away from making a deep playoff run, if not reaching for the Super Bowl, and that player was quarterback. So no, it's not all the right. quarterback's fault, and I think any logical fan understands that very well, um, and any logical writer uh, or media person understands that very well. But uh, that doesn't mean that the Rams didn't make it extremely clear that they felt that they were a quarterback away from being more in contention of a deeper playoff run. So, right. you know, I think that I understand wanting to kind of put out some good some good quotes and to um make that the the latest on the on the cycle of this conversation um after Jared had had spoken to the Los Angeles Times about not feeling wanted in LA. Um 
you know, but but I also, you know, the the, the facts of the situation are um, in this brutal, brutal business and this brutal, brutal game, the Rams felt like they needed to improve their quarterback situation. And so they went out and did it. And one thing that Sean McVay mentioned at the end of his press conference that I thought was interesting is that he felt he could have communicated better throughout the uh, experience. Now, I don't it was not clear which experience he was referring to, whether it was Jared's playing playing career, communicating better in that regard. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it would mean communicating expectations better or communicating throughout the trade process with him um, right. a little bit better. So it was it was what it was. I, I don't think I expected anything groundbreaking in that regard. But March 17th, I hope we can follow up for sure. Yeah, and, and this is where, like, I, I just I think Sean gets in his own way sometimes. And I, I don't think he's doing it to be malicious or anything like that. But you can do both. You can talk about the good times and talk about, you know, this is why we felt like we had to make the move. I, I almost feel like by keeping it remaining opaque about it, you're almost making Jared look worse, like by not just coming out and saying exactly what you're saying, which I think is the truth. Like, hey, you know, like we were just. We were at a certain level with with Jared Goff as as player, as coaches, as an offense, as a team. We were at a certain level. We felt like we needed to get to a to another level uh, in order to win a Super Bowl. That's what we felt we needed to do is is to refresh that or change that or whatever. And it doesn't necessarily reflect negative on Jared. You know, maybe it's just as much my fault as a coach as as it is Jared's fault. But we, this is what we felt we needed to do in order to accomplish what we all want to accomplish, which is winning a Super Bowl. Like, I, I think there's a way to say that and and to not just kind of, you know, turn it off and be like, oh, yeah, we're only going to talk about the happy things. Like, mm-hmm. well, like that that's nice. Like, that's a nice sentiment. And I'm not saying he doesn't mean that. And and I know it, it is it is a nice sentiment to, to look back and be appreciative of, of somebody who you worked with and somebody who helped get you to a certain height. But it, it doesn't it doesn't answer the question and doesn't it doesn't solve um the issue so anyway yeah i know i know more will come uh and and this will get discussed more and and hopefully it it just it gets discussed in in more full ways i guess you could say because i I think there's something else there and and i think there's a way for sean to to address that address it in a more complete way um that answers some of these questions so i hope that happens but jordan before we wrap I I want to make sure everybody also checks out your great feature on Reggie Scott. Um, and and maybe we can uh, talk about this a little bit more next time, too. But, uh, you know, t- we spent a lot of time here talking about coaches uh, coming in, going out, you know, who's ideal or whatever. But you if you really want to get an understanding of what happens in that Rams facility, and kind of the heartbeat of what happens there and, and what happens, go read Jordan's feature on, on Reggie Scott because it's somebody who you may or may not know. You've probably heard the name because he's been around for quite a while. You hear Sean talk about him quite a bit as being somebody who's very important uh, to the success of the team. But I don't think a lot of people really understand how deep that goes. Um, so I, I'd, I'd really encourage people to go uh, take a look at that. And and really, if you really want to get a deeper understanding kind of the, of the culture of, of what the Rams are trying to uh, trying to establish, I, I think it's a it's a it's an awesome look. Yeah. Reggie Scott's just, first of all, what an incredible person. And second of all, 
his medical expertise and also his his just ability to connect with people on a human level not only got the Rams through what this was characterized by many people as the the toughest year of their of their careers but also um you know consistently for for years and years and years has been the person that players and coaches trust the most in the building and someone who has built a space that is um where people feel seen and they feel like they matter and that is not usually the way that a training room operates uh right. those are usually places actually of 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 some in some cases mistrust and i remember players uh in previous stops who who did not want to share their medical records with the team physician or wow. um different different things like that but this is a place of utmost trust and vulnerability and um that bridge between physical vulnerability of of football players connecting that um known facet of their lives to maybe a little bit less of an explored facet of emotional vulnerability. And that's where Reggie Scott meets them. So yeah, go check that out. Um, you know, we're going to be back next week, you guys, there's a lot coming, um, free agency. That's going to be really fun to talk about. Uh, you know, I think the Rams have a couple of fun things, uh, you know, that they're maybe able to do there and we're going to, we're going to obviously cover all of that. Um, and then the draft, and we're going to get you guys ready for the, the 2021 draft, uh, starting in the second round <laughs> for the next, for this foreseeable future. And always go check out the Rams page at the Athletic NFL for your Rams coverage. And we have great writers across the board who are bringing you all the updates you need to know across the league on a daily basis. So really appreciate you guys listening and uh, we'll catch you next time.